From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Greg Sanders. As, as, the, as the wall says, my name is Greg Sanders, and uh, it's an honor and a privilege to Pastor Vintage. This morning, we're going to look at something that is very, very familiar to a lot of us. If I say the term bread and cup, how many know what I'm talking about? Right. If, I, if you don't, you say, you'll know it if I say communion. We're going to be in a passage of 1 Corinthians where Paul is talking about communion and bread and cup. I don't know if we're going to be able to get through it all this morning, uh, just because it's, it's a, to do it justice, I think we need to look at it with, with a little bit more of an in-depth look, but we're going to try. We'll do our best. It is, uh, it's 10 minutes to 10. Is that what time it is? Yeah, that's what time it is. Good. I can read my watch still. Um, I'm going to go for about 30 minutes because we're going to take bread and cup at the end of this, and let's see what we have. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you come this morning? And would you bless both the reading of Scripture and the studying of it? You are the guide and you are the teacher. And Lord, with all honesty, um, I just don't think I have anything to say that's that important. Unless you breathe on it and you bring it to life. We believe the Scriptures are breathed of you. And they're fabulous at their ability to create in us the kingdom. And Lord, would you come plant deep in us this morning this passage in Corinthians and would you open our eyes to things that maybe we've not seen before and Lord we just put away all fear of it being a man's job to bring revelation you and you alone God can bring revelation you're the guide you're the teacher so we honor you we make room for you speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus name amen I'm going to make it legal, so I'm going to read it out of my Bible. So some of your Bibles, it's probably labeled order in the Lord's Supper. Paul says, but now when I mention this next issue, I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First of all, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you, so those of you who are right will be recognized. It's not the Lord's Supper you're concerned about when you come together. For I'm told that some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Is this really true? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace the church of God and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say about these things? Do you want me to praise you? I certainly do not. And take a look at that pocket. Obviously, pretty famous passage. And the way this teaching breaks down in chapter 11 is Paul's going to give, it's, it's like a sandwich. Paul's going to give his thoughts on some bread and cup issues that he's seeing within this young Corinthian church. And then he's going to open up the doors and share some of the stuff Jesus has given him about bread and cup. And then he's going to come back and make some more commentary. And we're just going to deal with those three sections in that way. This phrase in chapter 17, in verse 17, it says, But in the following instructions, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. 
The root word for good here is a word in the original language that means strength and it's specific to a body. The root word for harm carries the idea of being ashed in color. How many have ever been sick before and someone talks about your color not being right? It's akin to having life taken away from you. There's an interesting thought that comes to mind if we consider just this passage. From heaven's perspective, life-giving encounters are the purpose for our gatherings together. It is hardwired by God that when we gather together, there is to be the sharing of life, the strengthening, strengthening of each other. And in our culture, the concern is oftentimes because everything in our culture is so aimed at us, it's very easy to fall into a trap that reads a little like this, what's in it for me? And Paul's statement to the Corinthian church is, don't you get it? When you gather together, there's supposed to be something happening to each other. You're there for the benefit of others. And it's literally why we gather together. He says, first, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church, and to some extent, I believe it. So if we consider his, uh, his statement just before this about the purpose of our gatherings is to be life-giving, then we look at this statement, and we juxtapose the two. What we understand is that Paul's revealing the key enemy to a life-giving culture, and it's division. Division, the root word here is schism or rending. It's the idea... The word picture in the Greek is literally if you had a piece of meat and you hit it with a cleaver and it splits in half. What was once one is now two. This is the idea of the word. The word phrase among you means beginning to exist. So what he's saying is I'm concerned because I'm paying attention to something. There are separations and schisms and divisions that are starting to unfold. How many would say, if you're honest, I just assume divisions are part of being in a church? Let's be honest. How many have ever been in church and you're like, yeah, it's pretty much, it just happens, right? Paul's statement to this young, remember, go back to the root of Corinthians. Why are we studying this? Because this is a young church that is establishing, and Paul's chief concern is to help them establish correctly, to help them grow in the right direction. So what he's saying is, I see things in you that are new. They weren't there before. And being divided, church, can be over major things or little things. But what it causes is a pulling away from honest, intimate life. How many have ever longed for and searched for community? How many would agree that in this area, this region, community's tough? Some of you, like I've, I've met, for whatever reason, Ohio must be good at community. Everybody I meet from Ohio, they're like, it's just so like non-communal here. And I'm like, I don't even know what that means. I grew up on the West Coast. But what Paul's talking about is this sense of we belong to each other. We share life. We're not strangers that show up at the same building. Look around the room. From heaven's perspective, this is a family. We're not trying to be a family. It is a family. And just like a real family, you don't really get to choose your brothers and sisters. Your parents chose them for you. Your father chose them for you. But what we should all assume is that our father 
being so rich in mercy, strategically put people in the body that we're in because he knows we're good for them and they're good for us. And so if we learn to approach each other with that kind of mindset, all of a sudden we're not just showing up and sitting in a chair and we're we're now showing up to meet and to connect with the family that God has put around us. Now I will tell you this about church growth. I don't think church growth is a mystery. Book of Acts says God added to the church daily. God's always adding to the church. The question is, is he adding to this one? Every church should be asking that question. It's not that church growth is a mystery, God. The question is, why, Father, aren't you adding to us? Why are you adding to us? Whether you're growing or not growing. Does that make sense? We should be wondering, what are we doing right? It's not just happenstance. Because Paul says, this is real family. Real brothers, real sisters. And division. How many would accept it in our homes if there was a division that lived among moms and dads, if you're, if just, I want to talk to parents for a second. Let's say your kids are, you know, they're 10 and 15, they're in that range, that age range. And let's say they're, they're one, one brother, one sister, just can't stand the other because they've disagreed on something, and so they don't talk to each other anymore. They pick different shifts to eat meals because they don't want to be around each other. They make sure that they're in different rooms to watch TV. As a parent, you would feel the need to step in and say, hey, wait, time out. We need, to, we need to talk about the elephant that's in the room. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul's saying, that stuff can't be allowed to continue in our lives. See, if all of us take the responsibility to say, I, in as much as I can control it, will keep myself free from division, then it works. I can't fix whether or not you allow yourself to be divided. I can only manage me. I can manage myself in a way that's loving and gracious and humble and gentle because I think some of us want to look at somebody and go, don't be divided. And the reality is we're just idiots and we're hard to be in unity with. So we need to learn how to have that grace. And Paul's dealing with this simple concept here, saying that there's, there's little divisions starting. And my question for us is, If we really take a second and we push pause and we just ask the question, are there divisions in my heart? Are there little things that I can feel where I can feel the enemy trying to divide me from different parts of this body? Let's just deal here right now and ask that question. And if if the answer is yes in any way, shape, or form, we individually have to manage that. If I ask that question and the answer is, yeah, there is that one thing with so-and-so, then I've got to go deal with that one thing with so-and-so. Not in my notes, going to go here anyway. Jesus makes a statement about worship and says, if in the midst of worship, something re- you remember that someone has something against you, lay down your gift, lay down the, the worship, the sacrifice you're making, and go fix it. Why? Because from heaven's perspective... He wants us to have transparency to where I'm in the same level of relationship with those around me that I want to be in with him. And if I have a desire to be connected, intimate, united with him, then I must demand of myself that I stay connected, intimate, united with those around me. This idea that I can have an I-thou encounter, I can have a relationship with the Lord that's rich and vibrant, but I don't have to stay rightly connected to the world around me is actually not kingdom. Let that one simmer. 
Paul says, but of course, there must be divisions among you so that those of you that have God's approval will be recognized or that those of you that are right will be recognized. This word division here in verse 19 is different. It no longer means schism or rending. The word means to take sides. And it's the idea of creating battle lines in an encampment. At its root is the idea of pitting others against someone else. What I want us to recognize is what began for Paul in the Corinthian church. What began as a simple divisive moment where the enemy plants a division, they allow a division, there's a hurt feeling, whatever it is. It starts small. And the outgrowth, the natural, how many understand the snowball rolling downhill concept? That's what we're talking about. Division has a natural outworking. If I allow it at any level in my heart, it will work itself into a place where I'm naturally going to try to draw people to my cause and help them pit against whatever that is. That's how it works. And that's what Paul's highlighting here. It's when we draw others into that problem. And I'd love to highlight what I think causes that. You see, the secret to living without division is to be secure in the Father and to rid ourselves of the need to draw anyone else into our problem. If I say the phrase mouth gate, does anybody know what I mean? Mouth gate. That's this yapper right here. I'm in charge of whether or not it's open or closed. I'm in charge of what I talk about and who I talk about. My father used to say this to me all the time as a boy. And it used to drive me nuts because I thought it was the dumbest phrase ever. He said, intelligent people talk about ideas. Fools talk about others. He just said it over and over and over again. I ne- it never dawned on me that I was probably talking about others. He used to say, you know, intelligent people talk about ideas. Fools talk about other people. You see, when we allow differences of opinion to become small offenses and they cause us to feel entitled to separate from each other. And I'm talking about just regular body life. And I know when I talk about it, it's almost foreign because you're like, I've never lived so intimate and so connected with others that something about them that drove me crazy, I just, I just, I've never even lived in that yet. But Paul's saying that was actually the way the church was birthed. The natural way, the natural condition of the church was intimate and connected. Division causes this isolation idea. And when I allow those offenses to cause me to feel entitled to be free from people, it can be big, it can be little. Church, the enemy doesn't care what it is as long as it works. And if we're willing to allow that type of poor attitude and that type of behavior in ourselves, the enemy wins. How many remember that Jesus said, in your lifetime, offenses will come? So I want to deal with offense for a moment. What is offense? Offense is something that happens around me to me that causes something in me to rise up, and it bothers me. It hurts me. It irritates me. And so often in our judicial nature, the first question I want to ask is, am I right? And Paul's statement and Jesus' statement, Jesus' statement's crazy. He literally says, I don't care. 
What he says to John the Baptist is, in this lifetime, offenses will come. But blessed are you, happy are you, who don't get offended because of me. Like, wait, how did you get there? Consider this thought. Your life is being led and governed by the Lord. He's put you uniquely in the places of life you are. Therefore, you're under his leadership. He's leading you. That means any place you get offended, you're getting offended because of where the Lord led you, no matter who's at, co- at cause. Think that one through. I have a responsibility to live my life without offense. Jesus told me, you're going to have plenty of chances to get offended. It's going to be way better for you if you don't get offended because of me. I'm not offended at you. Yeah, well, you're offended at where, towards someone that I led you into their life and their path. We talked about the heart guard last week. Remember that? Part of guarding our heart is protecting ourselves from offense. Man, at this rate, we are not getting done this week. Paul will go on and say that what's really driving this is the need for recognition. All of us have this desire to be important. And so our need for recognition is rooted in an insecure nature. And we want to cause other, we want to find other people that can speak into that insecurity because it makes us feel good. And the reality church is the only place insecurity can ever be managed is before the Lord. I have to have the discipline to sit with him and to open my heart, open my life and let him speak into it. I have a challenge for you. Many of you may be gifted like I am with strong opinions. And you may feel the need at times to to vent those to other people to see if you're right. Stop that. Just sit with the Lord and ask him. He'll tell you. Just, Just sit with him. Lord, here's my perspective on this. Am I right? He's very quick to say no or yes. But why do we feel the need to draw others into that? It's because of our insecurity. And we've got to learn how to take those things that the burrs, and we, we've kind of bought into a lie. We call, I call it the, you know, the, the oyster lie. We just believe we're going to become pearls. Offense doesn't become a pearl until I can lay it before the Lord and let him speak into it. Then he can take that thing and he can begin to minister to me about why I got offended and minister to me about how he wants me to move into others' lives. Paul says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. You're really not interested in the Lord's Supper. Paul makes an incredible phrase here makes an incredible statement. The root of this phrase means when you gather, you're not actually eating the Lord's Supper. Paul seems to be communicating that something about how they were observing this time. Now, push time out for a second. We call bread and cup this simple symbolism, the Lord's Supper. I personally believe in the New Testament church, they got together and they ate food. Like they actually hung out and did life and had a meal. cost metrics of that probably make that difficult. And, and if we're honest, we're all probably a little more selfish than, we, than it would take to give up four hours to do this properly. And so the church throughout the years 
to, to protect the sacrament. I said, we want there to be something that happens that we eat together. And you're like, well, a wafer and a little cup of juice does not cover it. The principle of this is we, it reminds us that we're family. I would say this, where I think the Lord's Supper should really be lived out is in small groups. When we gather together to eat and share life, there is something supernatural about it. You mean I can have people over to my house, like two or three families from the church, and we're just going to hang out and eat? And yeah, just, you know what, just declare what it is. Lord, thanks for the life we get to share together. Treat it with the reverence it has instead of treating it like, well, it's just a food night. But Paul says this, when you gather together, he's talking about the way they're handling it. And he seems to be communicating that the symbolism is only effective and real with the right spirit and heart attitude. I don't know if that bakes anybody else's noodle, but it does mine. That we can take the bread and cup wrongly and have it actually not be the bread and cup. That God has wired this thing in such a way that the, the declaration that is made when we take it is connected to the heart attitude we take it with. The attitude of our hearts is exampled through our unwillingness to live in any division with with others is what makes this the Lord's Supper. What Paul's saying is you can't be divided against each other and take the bread and cup and have it actually work because Jesus will not partner with division. Being a believer is not easy. Following Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It requires an incredible discipline to search our hearts, to know our hearts, to live in a, a constant relationship with him where he can speak into these types of issues. Paul makes no apologies for saying, look, I know, you got to do the work and you got to live in unity. Yeah, it's going to take time. You can't just blast through life at your own speed and do that. You have to be willing to, to walk in, in step. Anybody, any fast walkers in the room? Anyone notice when you're like going through an airport and you're with people that aren't fast walkers? That if you don't, if you don't mind your step pace, pretty soon you're not going through the airport with them anymore. Does that make sense? You're just, you're just out walking. So why would we assume that we just get to go through life at our pace emotionally? What happens if the responsibility of us as a family is to take, make sure that I'm walking at a pace that makes it easy for others to come with me? I'm being gentle that way. The attitude of our heart is exampled through our unwillingness to live in any division with each other is what makes this the Lord's Supper. I'm going to push pause here because I think it's a, a right and appropriate moment. This idea of division, this separation. I want us this morning to take the bread and cup with the awareness that if I'm going to take it, I have to be willing to deal with these things. If you're not willing to deal with them, don't take it. We don't have time to get into what Paul says. We'll get there next week. But Paul will say this later. I'll just give you the snapshot. Your responsibility is to examine yourself. And if you're taking this out of alignment with the covenant, you're actually bringing harm to yourself. That seems so harsh. This isn't just a tradition. 
The declaration Paul makes is every time we take this, we are declaring supernaturally the death of our Savior. That it actually has supernatural authority. That just this symbolism declares the death of the cross. Declares what Jesus did. Declares that work. So it's, it's not just at the moment we do. It's something we do because it's, it's aligning me with him. It's declaring to the heavens. Someday maybe we'll get to see the power of it because I don't know from this point of view that we really understand it. But this morning, what I think we can understand, what I think we can wrap our heads around is this question. Is there division in my heart? Have I allowed any kind of offense? Do I have that thing towards so-and-so? Let's stand this morning. We sang a phrase this morning, open up the doors of heaven, Lord, we're ready. We're crying out for more. And I love those kind of declarations. I love those kind of invitations for revival. But church, this is the due diligence that it takes to live into that cry. If I'm going to cry out, Lord, I want more of you, I have to be willing to make my life align with what the scriptures say. Father, we want to step into a really holy moment, take bread and cup with some fresh understanding about the consequence of division and offense. And Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Lord, where it's necessary, you minister to us and maybe we just simply say, Lord, I just need to forgive so-and-so for something. They don't even know they did it. Great. We don't want to start a bunch of ridiculous conversations. Help us deal with it. But Lord, if, if we know there's something that that needs to be dealt with. Would you give us the grace and the courage to treat each other like family and actually deal with it? We love you today. Be with us as we take the bread and cup. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never, bread and cup's all new and you're like, well, I don't know anything about this. Just at the back of the room, there's a little prayer room. And we have some family members there that would love to meet with you and pray with you. Um, but let's take bread and cup now. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.